The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Gospel getting out. And so they're sitting in a daycare in the folding chairs, and they're going to start tearing down in a little while. And, and it's all because you're helping them do what they do. You're helping to fund the vision that God's given them. So when people get saved this morning in Hazlitt, our fingerprints are on it. When people get saved in Africa, in Toronto, in Fort Worth, in this room, our fingerprints are on it. It's a part of reaching out. Everything we do is wired to reach out. Jesus gave the mission very clearly in, in Matthew 28 after his, after his resurrection. He said, go into all the world. He said, all authority has been given to me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teach them to obey my, my commands. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and tell them to observe everything I've commanded. He says, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. In Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So this mission that he commands us to is the greatest mission the world has ever seen. And it's fueled by his power and the Holy Spirit because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that he gave his life for us so that we don't have to be dead, so that we can have forgiveness of sin, so that we can have a relationship with our Father, that we can be reconciled back to our Creator. And when we start thinking about this mission, it's easy for churches to reduce these things to programs. I just listed off some places that that we pour into, both with, with hand labor and with dollars. So we give time and energy, and we give money into these things. And it's easy for churches to reduce these to a budget line item or to think that that missions is a program in a church. It goes way beyond a program. Mission, the missional mindset of the church, it's the core identity of who the church is and to get out into the world sent by God. It's to take the greatest message that the world has ever known and will ever know and step into this and say, we have the answer. We have hope. We have life. And it just doesn't become something we do. We're sending a team. uh, I look like they're standing behind me or something. Um, (laughs) We're sending a team to Nicaragua in a month. And they're going to be building structures. They're going to be working at uh, feeding centers. They're going to be doing VBSs. They're going to be reaching out. They're going to be preaching and teaching the gospel. And these feeding centers, they're building so that kids can come in and get a meal but also be sharing the gospel and know who Jesus is. And that's not just a program. That's not just an event. That's part of the DNA of who God has wired us to be. Everything about the church's DNA, all the reasons why we do what we do, builds up to us reaching out and going into the world and sharing this message. Let let me tell you, let me show you what happens in heaven when this message is shared. <clears throat> Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. To him as to Jesus. And the Pharisees, who are the religious folk, um, and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. There's something to point out. Religion doesn't always get you to Jesus. You're going to see that Jesus is about a relationship and religion will only get you so far. If you've been hung up on your religion, let us, let us help you get rid of some of that. 
If you're missing a relationship with Jesus, but you got your religion, you're not there. And so Jesus, he's nice to him in this passage. Normally he calls him brood of vipers and sons of hell and all kinds of things. It's kind of fun. But he says this to him. Told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then he goes on to, our, to, to further articulate his Meaning, he says, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, When we do baptisms and we get to celebrate publicly people's profession of faith, I tell you that there's joy in heaven. And and what's interesting to point out in this passage, it says there is joy before the angels, meaning the angels get to see what joy looks like, that God himself is celebrating and rejoicing because this is one of my kids who was wayward and they have come back to me and they have been brought into relationship. Rejoice with me because what was lost has been found. And here's my hope. I want, I want heaven to just be a party all the time. I mean, I, I want to kind of be the DJ for heaven. like the <laughs> So every time I preach the gospel, it's like doing the <laughs> and, and so we're preaching the gospel. Lives are getting saved. And God's up there like, yes, 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 yes. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I love. I love to see lives change. I want to I fuel the party, man. That's all I want to do. And when I get there, I want to meet all these people like, I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't get to meet you personally. And they'll say, but I came, I came from Africa, or I came from Toronto, or I came from Hazza. Hazza is just like Africa, if you're just wondering about that. Um, uh, it's north, it's desolate. No, I'm just kidding. I love Hazza. Some of you live in Hazza. We love you. We love Hazza. Thanks for making the drive. Um, if you're looking for a church closer, just keep driving to the creek. Um, I want to fuel that party. I mean, because my whole life is about bringing glory to God and giving him joy. And if the greatest thing I can do to give him joy is to share the gospel so lives are changed, then God's going to keep on dancing. That's what I want to see. And he goes this way over one. God doesn't get a report on Monday morning and go, well, let's see what the Sunday reports were. Oh, there was 387,000 salvations across the globe. That's great. Make sure you follow up with them. Make disciples. Nah, man. God is watching, and he's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yes! That's my son. That's my daughter. Welcome home. Welcome to the family. What I had was gone, and now is back. The, the, the parable after this is the prodigal son. 
And that's when you see the Father running. Do you realize that God has run to us? The gospel is all about God running to us, that Jesus left his throne in heaven, and he came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He was laid in humility in a manger. He walked a perfect life, a sinless life. He walked a hill called Calvary, and he gave his life on a cross. He laid it down. It was not taken from him. He laid it down freely and willingly. And as they drove those nails through, and as they, they, they raised him up, he was knowing that the sacrifice is paid. And in one of his final words on the cross is, it is finished. He has paid everything, everything, every debt of sin that we ever had. All the death that we're born into, he's been has taken on his shoulders. And then he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And in that tomb, he entered hell and defeated hell. He defeated Satan. He defeated the grave. He took the keys to hell. And on Easter morning, when we celebrate, he walked out. That's the good news. That's the power of God unto salvation. And we reach out because we have been transformed by this gospel. That I, I was dead and now I'm alive. And people say, why do you follow Jesus? And I, all I could tell you in the beginning was, I was dead and now I'm alive. I was blind and now I can see. I was deaf and now I hear. I was lame and now I can walk. There was life that entered into me. And I was made a new creation. Paul wrote, he said, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. And we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And when we reach out, the world sees a transformed mat, a transformed you, and what they're really seeing is the hands and feet of Jesus that's reaching out and being with sinners and tax collectors and saying, God's going to rejoice when one gives their life to him. Transformed people become a part of other people's transformation. And we get to be a part of this. We get to be a part of rejoicing in this. It really comes down to, man, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I was hungry. I had a thirst. Remember the woman at the well we talked about last week? And he said, there's a living water that I can give you, and you will never thirst again. You know what? I've tasted that. And I want to find those who are thirsty and say, I have something for you. And what's beautiful in this mission is God trusts us with the gospel. He trusted us with the greatest message and the greatest mission the world has ever known and will ever know. And trust is huge. I mean, because, I mean, you learn, when we're kids, we learn trust. Like, I remember when my dad let me carry a pocket knife for the first time. Man, I was like, I'm a man. I grew up on a farm, and every time my dad fired up the tractor, it didn't matter where I was. I was a full run because I wanted to be on that tractor with him. And he always carried a pocket knife. And we would get into doing jobs and stuff, and he'd, he'd pull out his pocket knife. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to carry a pocket knife. And when I could, I just felt that responsibility. Like, I'm a man. I'm trusted with this pocket knife. But I've learned about trusting, being trusting with some prized possessions. And let me tell you something. There are three prized things in my life that ain't nobody going to mess with. That is my wife and my two daughters. And I'm learning trust because in August, I'm going to walk my oldest daughter down an aisle. And I'm going to put her hand in another man's hand, her fiance. And I'm going to give her away. And he knows this. He knows I'm going to be a crazy father-in-law. I'm going to be like, I'm trusting you 
my best thing. Don't you screw it up. I mean, when he called Heather and I and we were Skyping because he's in Toronto, um, and he said, I'm asking for your blessing and your daughter's hand in marriage. Here's what I've learned in my life. I, I wasn't the dad that said, well, what are you going to do for a job, son? I, I know jobs come and go. I've, I've had so many careers in my life, it's crazy. He said, how are you going to take care of my daughter spiritually? How are you going to cover her? How are you going to make sure she is the wife that God's called her to be and the woman God's called her to be? How are you going to wash her with the word? Are you willing to lay down your life for her? Are you willing to make her holy and present her without blemish? How are you going to spiritually cover my daughter? Can I tell you something? God trusts us with the gospel in that same respect. I'm giving you the greatest thing that I've ever had, and that is my son Jesus. And I'm trusting you to deliver the salvation that he brings to the world. What an incredible trust God has for us. We are trusted with this gospel. Let me read to you a practical, a practical trust in this. Go to, go to Acts 8. I told you we were going to go there. Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. See, we've got to be in the right mindset for God to put us in the right place. You see, Philip was listening to God, and when the angel said, rise and go, he, he rose and went. And then he became in tune to what the opportunity, he began to see it, because he said, I've got the greatest message that the world has ever heard, and God's going to put me in a place to share that. And so he, the angel says, go, rise, go. And so Philip's like trucking down the road towards Gaza, sees a chariot, and he says, 
run over to that chariot. Now, I, I don't know if the, in the story the chariot's like moving. It would have been cool if like the Holy Spirit power came on Philip. He's like, duh, 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 duh. he's running beside the chariot. Like, yeah, you know what you're reading there? But I don't think it happened that way. He might have been taking a break, but he says, do you know what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone explains it? There is people in your life that are struggling with the context of life that are struggling with understanding, that are trying to wrestle with this God idea, and God wants to put you in the right place at the right time so you can be the one to explain it. And what did Philip do? He made Jesus clear. Every scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is a link to making Jesus clear. And he trusts us with that message. But let's get, let's get practical about this. Okay, so we, we reach out because we've been transformed. And, and we want to be a part of transforming people. And God trusts us with the message. But let's get to the heart of really why we reach out. We love God and that translates to a love for people. I love you because God had first loved me. I even love my neighbors that at 1230 in the morning were setting off all those fireworks. I love them. I didn't like them last night. But I love them. But I can love because God first loved me. And here's what I've learned. That love found me. I didn't find God. God's never been lost. But God's love found me. And here's what I've learned. Found people find people. Because when I have found it, I want to help other people find it. When I've experienced truth, I want to help others experience truth. When I experience healing, I want others to experience healing. And I've learned that as we live and as we love, and as we've been reached out to first and been transformed, that the way we love people is a reflection of our love for Christ. And it even shows the world that we're his disciples. Jesus told his disciples, the world will know that you're mine, you're my disciples, by how you love one another. So the question is, do I love someone enough to reach out to them? Do I love someone enough to desire to see their life changed? Because love motivates our passion to see lives changed. You see, I love God and I love people. And that's why I want to keep the party going. That's why I want to keep providing the joy for him. That God's just constantly dancing. Because, man, I, the best thing that I can give to somebody is what I know. And that's life. Because I was born dead. You were born dead. And it takes being reborn into life to experience a life that is truly life, as Jesus says. And this good news of the gospel, it does change our future. See, I love people enough to care about their eternity. As we sat in our, our meeting this week, we were talking. So why do you reach out? Why did we reach out? What's, and it comes on this. We don't want people to go to hell. And I hope it doesn't get reduced to that for you as you wrestle with this question. But I want people to experience life. And yes, the gospel, yes, Jesus changes our eternity. But we've got to understand the context of the gospel doesn't just 
change our eternity. The context of the gospel reframes our present circumstances and issues. It gives us a new lens to deal with whatever we're dealing with today. Because God just doesn't save us and say, now now you just sit and wait patiently and you endure this because one day you'll get to heaven. No, God says, everything, your eternity's changed, but so is your present. It gives you a new lens to see what's going on in your front, in your front window right now, in your windshield. And the gospel also changes our past. The gospel redeems our past. Because here's one thing we all have in common. We all have a past. And the commonality of all of our past is this, death. And your testimony may be, may be in how God took you through addiction and he took you through pain and he took you through loss and he took you through incredible depths of hurt and brought you to his goodness and his grace and his love. Or your, your testimony, your past may be, my parents brought me up in church and as early as I can remember, I gave my life to Christ and I've done everything to try to follow him and serve him all the days of my life. Regardless of those testimonies, we have in common death in our past. And the cross of Christ, when Jesus was crucified and he bore the weight of the sin, he also bore the death that was in our bodies, that we were crucified with him. The old is gone, okay? The old is death. It's the death we carry. It's the shame. It's the guilt. It's the condemnation. And he takes that away. He redeems our past. And I know some of you have incredible hurts in your past. He, he stands ready to redeem that. That's the good news. So why do I reach out? I want to see God glorified. And the biggest way I know to glorify him is watching him change lives. Watching him transform someone, although breathing and walking around, they're dead. And he brings new life. And when that life is born, they're celebrating in heaven. So why do I reach out? I'm going to make sure through preaching the gospel that heaven is not going to be a boring place, my friend. It's not going to be about sitting on a cloud with a harp and all that stuff. That, that doesn't light me up. I'm sorry. But celebrating in the presence of God and seeing and hearing all the stories of this is who I was and this is what God did. That's why I reach out. So why do you reach out? Maybe the challenge is do you reach out? Because God's put people in front of you. The Holy Spirit's talking to every one of you and every one of us in this room and saying, here's where I want you to go and I'm going to put you in the path of somebody and they're going to say, I don't understand this. How can I unless somebody tells me, tells me and God's going to be like, I want you to tell them. And your goal, you, yes, you are not going to be able to answer every biblical question they have. I can't even do that. But here's what you can do. You can make Jesus clear. And if part of your reaching out is inviting him, them to the creek, here's what I will commit to you. Our purpose, our goal is to make Jesus clear, that we're going to love every person that walks through those doors, and we're going to make Jesus clear. And that we will get our arms around him, we, we will genuinely love them. And we're going to preach Jesus. Because when they give their life to Christ, there's rejoicing. Many of you in this room 
have names of people on that prayer wall. The wood wall that we have is a prayer wall. And on the back of that wall are the names of people that we are praying for to come to know Jesus. If you don't have a board up there, I want to challenge you. Every time you walk in that front door, start praying for those that you know that don't know Jesus. And if you bring them in here, we're going to do our best. We're going to love them and make Jesus clear. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us first so that we can have a context in life of what love really is. Father, thank you for reaching out to us first because the dead cannot reach out to the dead. Only the living can reach out. So I thank you that you who are living reached out to us. And you give us life and you call us to reach out, to reach into the darkness. Father, thank you for using us to be the delivery agents of lives you've already paid for. Continue to transform us into your image so that in everything we do, we're reflecting Jesus. We're reflecting grace. We're reflecting mercy. We're reflecting love. And Father, I pray that we as your bride become so marked by these characteristics that the church is known by her mercy. The church is known by her grace. The church is known by her love. The church is known by her unity. The church is known by her humility. Father, I pray that we look like Jesus to a world that so desperately needs the gospel. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room that has never put their faith in you, that has never experienced life, I, I pray that you help open their eyes and their ears and their heart to understand that today, right now, is the time that you are reaching out to them. And I pray that in the, in the moment that they're in right now, that they just call on you and they say, Jesus, I need you. I need life. I need a hope and a future that is secured. I need a new frame of reference for my present circumstances. And Jesus, I need you to redeem my past. Forgive me. I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. Right now, if that's you, there's joy in heaven. They're celebrating. God is celebrating because you who are dead is now alive and that he has run to you and he has embraced you. And if that's you, I want you to, I want, I'm going to ch challenge you. You need to mark it on that card so we can help you. Our prayer team's going to be up here. They want to pray with you. Just say, hey, I'm, Jesus reached me. That's, just say that. And as we go from this place, Father, give us the courage, give us the discernment to hear where you call us to go. And in everything, make Jesus clear. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.